to the markets. Hello again with Max Armstrong. I'm Orion Samuelson here for our weekly look at market activity from Wall Street to the wheat fields to the feedlots in the country. Taking a look at what happened at another very eventful week in the marketplace. Our dateline to Chicago, Friday, December 20th. And how did we trade on this final trading day of the week going into the holiday season shutdowns at uh, the markets because of Christmas and New Year's? Well, stocks hit record closing highs again today. And the S&P 500 registered its biggest weekly percentage gain since early September after data showed an increase in consumer spending and investors continued to be optimistic about developments in the U.S.-China trade dispute. And President Trump started the day by uh, saying he had made progress on issues all the way from trade to North Korea and Hong Kong after speaking with Chinese President Xi Jinping and that dispelled fears of another escalation in the two countries' trade war. And the S&P 500 also hit a seventh straight intraday all-time high in its longest streak of record intraday highs since October of 2017. And the Nasdaq ended with gains for an eighth session in a row. One analyst in South Carolina said, This time of year tends to be a tailwind for the market. And he went on to say there's nothing obvious between now and the end of the year that would change the direction we're heading. So it's kind of a melt up. The Dow Industrial Average gained 78 points for the day. It ended the day and the week at 28,455. The S&P 500 gained 15 points to end the day at 32.21, and the NASDAQ composite uh, added 38 points today to end the week at 89.25. The S&P 500 rose for a fourth straight week, gaining 1.7% for the week, and that's its biggest weekly gain since early September. Consumer spending, which of course is a key to U.S. economic growth and a major focus for investors, rose four-tenths of a percent in November. That added to a string of upbeat data that have helped put a damper on recession fears, which really dogged markets earlier this year. Volume on U.S. exchanges hit the highest in a year, boosted by quadruple witching, in which investors unwind positions in futures and options contracts before their expectations and about 11,530,000,000 shares changed hands today. Nike was down 1.2%. That coming after the world's largest sportswear maker reported lower-than-expected growth in revenues, particularly from North America. Cruise operators were among top percentage gainers in the S&P 500, led by Carnival Corporation, which jumped 7.5% after forecasting a 2020 profit largely above estimates. 
But then on the other side, shares of U.S. Steel tumbled nearly 11% after the company said it expects a bigger-than-expected fourth-quarter loss. The recent record run could make it harder for stocks to rally once the next earnings season begins, according to our South Carolina analyst, noting that there could be increased volatility. As a matter of fact, there tends to be increased volatility in all markets at this time of the year because a lot of traders take a holiday vacation, and that means lower trading population on the floor, which means that uh, markets can move on really not much news. The other market this week that we keep an eye on, oil prices fell today, but both benchmarks logged a third straight weekly gain and the easing of the U.S.-Chinese trade tensions, which has boosted business confidence and the outlook for global economic growth. Brent crude futures settled at $66.14 a barrel. That's down 40 cents for the day but it marked a weekly increase of around 1.4%. And U.S. crude futures settled at $60.44 a barrel, down 40 cents or one and a quarter percent, while gaining about six-tenths of a percent on the week. And again, focus this week continued to be on the U.S.-China trade situation and progress in that trade dispute between the world's two biggest consumers has raised expectations of a higher energy demand next year, which would, of course, help the oil market. China Thursday announced a list of import tariff exemptions for six oil and chemical products from the United States, That coming days after Washington and Beijing said an interim trade deal is set to be signed in January. And on the other uh, issue on trade, the advancement of the U.S.-Mexico-Canada agreement, USMCA, which is set to replace the North American Free Trade Agreement, has also boosted the oil market this week. The agreement passed by the House on Thursday. But then there's also some selling of the Christmas and New Year's Day holidays, and that would push prices lower, according to Phil Flynn, the analyst at Price Futures Group in Chicago. He said, We've had a pretty good run the last couple of days, and I think the Bulls are nervous about carrying positions into the holiday. So what do we watch next week? Well, not very much. As a matter of fact, it's going to be a light couple of weeks on reports that have impact in the market coming from Labor Department and Commerce Department. But on the U.S. economic calendar next week, investors will be watching for the preliminary goods trade deficit data. That comes out December 30th. And uh, investors are expecting that to have widened to $68.75 billion in November. That would be up from $66.80 billion in October. The consumer confidence data on December 31 likely to show the index rose to a reading of 128.3 in December. 
That would be up from 125.5 in the month before. On December 23rd, the Commerce Department expected to report new home sales likely increased to 300, or I should say to 735,000 units in November. That would be up slightly from the 733,000 units in October. The National Association of Realtors on December 30th likely to say that pending home sales went up 1.1% in November after falling 1.7% in October. And on December 23rd, the Commerce Department expected to report orders for durable goods rose 1.5% in November following an increase of a half percent in the month before Data from the Labor Department on December 26th will likely show initial claims for state unemployment benefits for the week ended December 21 fell to 220,000 from 234,000 the week before. Some foreign reports that will be watched by traders here in the U.S. Statistics Canada scheduled to report gross domestic product for October. Canada's economy grew just a tenth of a percent in September. And the other member of the new North American Trade Agreement, Central Bank of Mexico, will publish minutes from its last monetary policy decision on January 2nd. And Mexico's trade balance data for November is scheduled for release December 27. Mexico posted a $489 million trade surplus in October. That's when adjusted for seasonal swings. So internationally, some data will be coming out that traders are going to be watching here in the United States, but no major reports that will have much of an impact on the market, although the housing situation, which seems to be making some recovery, will certainly get a look from investors in this country. And some of the news that made headlines this week on Wall Street that helped the bullish trend. U.S. economic growth nudged up in the third quarter, and the economy appears to have maintained the moderate pace of expansion as the year ended. Other data today showed consumer spending increased solidly in November, adding to a string of upbeat data that really has helped quell the recession fears. Gross domestic product increased at a 2.1% annualized rate, and that according to the Commerce Department in its third estimate of third quarter gross domestic product. That number was unrevised from the previous month. We continue on the markets. Richard Brock is in the studio with me this weekend. Lean up to the microphone there, sir, and say hello to your many fans and friends. Max, uh, good afternoon, evening, morning, whatever it is. Will we'll be listening to this? And uh, yes, yeah, an interesting time of time of the year. Well, we received the other day some new numbers from the USDA and their World Ag Supply Demand Report. 
But was there anything new other there than wasn't. changes yeah, I, of international re- numbers? I don't recall. Having been in the business now for 43 years, I don't recall a report that didn't change anything. Nothing changed in corn balance sheets. Nothing changed in soybean balance sheets. You know, you'd think they would have found something to change. But, you know, I, I think they're probably pretty accurate. Uh, you know, the I think a lot of farmers are still hoping that they lower their corn yield estimates. And... Um, in the surveys we've done with our own subscribers and audiences that we've spoken to in the last two weeks, we actually think the next time they will raise the yield uh, slightly. Uh, you know, they're at 167 right now in corn. Uh, we think it's probably going to end up around 168.5 or higher. Uh, it's not going to go down. Uh, almost everyone, we just finished a series of six seminars uh, throughout the Midwest, and every audience, uh, 90% of every audience, said they're corn yields came in higher than they expected them to be, uh, you know, three months ago. Uh, I mean, still below last year, but uh, corn yields uh, came in pretty good. Same thing, true in beans. What did you hear? I want to come back to, to analyzing that crop and that crop size in a moment. But what did you hear from the growers? What did you pick up on? As you've been out with a number of producer groups, what strikes you about their marketing of the crop, uh, their marketing earlier this year, or what they've done in a total income standpoint for 2019? Nothing's, nothing's changed in 43 years. I mean, people still think the same way. They still do the same things. I tell audiences now that the two biggest issues farmers face in marketing uh, that no university teaches is confirmation bias, believing what they want to believe, only wanting to believe bullish news and not looking at everything. And the other thing is is habits. Uh, you know, and I, I learned this from a, a church retreat uh, that the biggest problem we all have uh, in trying to make changes is we don't want to break our old habits. And, you know, a typical one in, in amongst some farmers, uh, today's generation markets the same way their dad did, who marketed the same way their dad did. And if you can't break those habits, marketing results will, will never improve. And so what we saw uh, this week, and we were in, all the way from Lafayette, Indiana, to Kearney, Nebraska. And we just finished off this week in Kearney, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Mankato. Great turnouts at all meetings. And, you know, farmers were very optimistic, and they're very uh, pleased. Uh, those that marketed well this past year, by the time you throw in their insurance payments and their Trump dollars, uh, biggest issue for a lot of these farmers, you know, how, how am I going to avoid paying such big taxes this year? I mean, that is actually a real problem with a lot of farmers. And then you've got the bottom 10% that are still storing last year's corn. So this is no different than any other year. I mean, you've got the top 10% and the bottom 10% and a lot in between. And, uh, you know, overall, too, what we saw uh, is a a real mixed bag in in recent farmland sales. Uh, Everything from I can't believe that farm brought so much to there was a no sale. You know, and there have been some no sales in all all the key states in the last uh, three weeks. And, And then there are some sales that are, you know, near record highs. And if you're in an area where uh, livestock producers are wanting to expand and they need a specific area to put in new hog buildings because there's a lot of restrictions even in Iowa where they can put in new hog buildings. You get into an area where hog buildings can be constructed now and the prices are going crazy. Northwest so, Iowa would be a good example yeah, of that, would it example. not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, there's some land that's gone for you know, $19,000 an acre and probably not real big tracks. But, you know, nevertheless, I mean, there's some really, really strong areas. And then if you get into areas, um, 
that their pockets that didn't have good crops this year and maybe haven't had good crops two out of the last three years. And, and the farm land market is relatively soft, but again, not really real weak. I mean, there's still a lot of money out there and a lot of money. And, and we all also found, you know, uh, Every uh, sale that was mentioned to me, it's always a farmer that bought it. I mean, uh, the investors are not buying that much right now. It's almost all uh, farmer purchases taking place. So, yeah, it's. I think it's an optimistic uh, uh, attitude that most most farmers have right now. And of course, the, the pork guys are doing very well. Uh, beef is a mixed bag. Some doing very well. Some doing just okay. Uh, and there depends again where a farm is located, because the biggest issue some of them have is, is just getting available feed. Uh, you know, lack of forage, uh, lack of corn. You know, it's a uh, so it's really mixed, and uh, but overall, you know, and, and then you've got a few areas with the soft corn in the field. Um, you know, North Dakota's got some real issues there, and there's pockets everywhere where corn's still in the field, and some farmers just waiting for it to dry down. Now there there are pockets that corn's still coming out of the field at twenty to thirty percent moisture. I heard that this week. I heard a grower in Wisconsin tell me that he had corn that was coming out of there like twenty eight, twenty nine percent moisture. Let me ask you about that corn that is still standing. Wisconsin, uh, the the Dakotas, what's happening with that corn? And, and are we missing in the estimates of crop size some significant quantity of corn that's either going to decline in quality out there and you know, decline in quantity? I tell you one thing I did learn in the last two weeks, and, and this is a fault we all have as human beings: is picking one fundamental and wanting to think that's really going to turn the market around. And I do think, Max, there are a lot of people who say, well, uh, there's too much corn in the field. You know, it's going to be really bullish. Well, uh, you know, if you take 800,000 acres off of the harvested corn acres uh, and with the yields that are going to have, you're probably only talking maybe 20 million bushels of corn. It's not going to change anything. You know, it's not a big enough fundamental, uh, nor is the low test weight. That's another uh, issue that a lot of people want to hang on right now. So, well, low test weight means we're going to feed a lot more corn. Yeah, we'll feed a little bit more, but again, that's not a major fundamental. Uh, so those just, two things you feel are not significant enough to really move the needle. They're, they're not significant enough to move the, the needle. You know, the key thing to right now, two key fundamentals. One is a lot of this old crop corn was carry over, carried over has to be priced before the end of January. A lot of it. Okay, that's keeping a lid on any major advances. Not that we can't go up, but that's uh, not a bullish factor. And the other thing is, you look at early seed corn sales, and everything points to the fact too that we'll probably have ninety-four million acres planted this year. Well, if we get ninety-four million acres having normal uh, uh, crop, just saying a national average yield about one seventy-six would be trend line. Uh, you're, we're back to two point two billion bushel carryover, and uh, or two point four. And and you're looking at, at prices that will probably be, you know, 50 cents a bushel or more less than they are today if we have that. So, you know, th- that's what we're looking at. You know, what are we going to plant? You know, how many acres are we going to get? And then we'll start working on weather. But while our carryover is down from a year ago, no doubt, it's not, uh, it's not tight enough to really cause any major bull market. And our long-term issues in corn is we've uh, exported all of our technology now. Uh, you know, 20 years ago, Max, we had a comparative advantage. U.S. farmers had a comparative advantage in raising corn. We had 75 to 80 percent of the world's corn exports 20 years ago. We now have 28 percent. Repeat that sentence one more time. Okay. 20 years ago, we had 75 to 80 percent of the world's corn exports. 
We now have 28%. It's just been a steady uh, decline for, for 20 years. In soybeans, we had 65 to 70% of the exports. We now have 32%. You know, before, 20 years ago, I mean, Ukraine, for example, didn't, export, didn't raise much corn and didn't export any corn. Now, this year, they have 18% of the world market. In exports. You know, th- this is a fundamental that we can't change. And it, lest we forget, it was political decisions right. back in the day. Uh, just, uh, you know, we, we thought we had stopped making that mistake. But. Right. It, it's a yeah. lot of things. I mean, anybody can point fingers. And, you know, you can say it's because of the mergers uh, and acquisitions of seed companies moving overseas. That's a little bit of it. But we've had all kinds of other technology that's moved uh, around the world. And um, and we made decisions. Decisions were made in Washington to stop yep. for one reason or another or to disrupt exports. And it yep. hurts long term, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And, you know, once it's lost, it's very difficult to get back. Uh, and I don't know how that's going to be done. But, you know, you see you a lot of farmers now looking for alternatives. And, uh, you know, it, I think the one thing that kind of concerns me, we had the worst production year that I can remember in 43 years. I mean, we acres that didn't get planted, and yet uh, look where we are price-wise. I mean, okay, so we had a 60-cent rally in July in corn, and now we're back to where we started. And, uh, you know, then the other thing, you know, I think uh, producers need to keep in mind uh, old rules of thumb that have always worked. Old rules of thumb meaning never store a short crop, always store a record crop. This is a short crop. Short crops peak early and have a long tail. This one's set up for that. And every year, time it happens, people say, oh, but this one's going to be different. Max, they're always a little different, but the results are almost always the same. And, I mean, we're sitting, our clients right now, we're 90% sold in old crop corn and 40% on next year's. And, you know, we're 90% sold on the 2019 crop. Right. And 40% priced on the uh, uh, crop that will be planted this coming spring. And, you know, some people are even heavier than that. I mean, we've had a lot of opportunities to sell corn over $4. And, um, you know, those are good prices. And I think if we plant 94 million acres, we're going to wish we'd have sold a lot more. And, I mean, there'll probably be another opportunity here down the road. And, you know, we could be making a short-term bottom right now uh, this week. But, you know, it's hard to be optimistic uh, in this corn market. And when you've got a good basis like this, uh, you know, we, we encourage farmers to, you know, take advantage of that and uh, and put some money in the bank. How about a quick comment on soybeans? Soybeans are a little bit different animal. Um, carryovers dropped uh, considerably in soybeans. Again, we've lost a lot of our export market. Uh, we, we expect 80 million acres to be planted uh, this coming spring in soybeans. Uh, but the carryover there is is tight enough. I mean, we're 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 heavily priced in soybeans too, and we have our customers right now sixty five percent priced in old crop beans, but and forty percent in the new crop. But once again, a couple months ago, we had some really good pricing opportunities, and that's when we did it, and we've just been sitting now. And so, I, I don't know. Um, put a gun to my head and say, "Be bullish or bearish uh, soybeans." I think I duck. You know, I don't. I don't have a real strong opinion on it. And um, so, you know, you get sharp rallies in here. I'd sell a little bit, but uh, I don't think a farmer has to worry about the soybean market falling apart here at all. I want to come back to how we began this discussion, and I don't want to make somebody feel bad because they didn't successfully market in 2019. But I want to underscore the fact that folks who really focused on the marketing of their crops along with collecting a government uh, 
payment to make up for the trade war, presumably, along with the insurance, another way of managing their risk. There were producers who did okay this year. Not okay. Great. I mean, there are a lot of uh, producers. I mean, their biggest concern this time of year is income taxes. And So uh, the lesson should be, going into 2020, absolutely. If you've never focused on marketing, this is a time to do it like never before. That's right. And, but Well, it's a good thing that Armstrong and Brock aren't stuck in a rut. Huh? We, we, we're not creatures of habit. Good to see you, sir. Right. Thanks for coming but, in as always. Merry Christmas to you, Richard. You, you too, Max. Richard Brock joining us this weekend. Well, there was quite a bit of positive trade news this week with the passage of the North American Free Trade Agreement, NAFTA 2 as I call it, the Canada-U.S.-Mexico Agreement that was finally approved in the House, and we also made progress on the China-U.S. trade front. As a matter of fact, President Trump today, this morning, talked with Chinese President Xi Jinping and claimed progress between the two governments on issues that have divided them from trade to North Korea and Hong Kong. The two leaders spoke a week after their envoys sealed the Phase 1 agreement aimed at ending that 18-month trade war that has rattled markets and raised tensions. President Trump announced the phone call in a tweet, and China Central Television said the Chinese president spoke to President Trump at the request of President Trump. Uh, In the tweet... Uh, President Trump said, had a very good talk with President Xi of China concerning our giant trade deal. China has already started large-scale purchases of agricultural product and more. Formal signing is being arranged. Also talked about North Korea, where we are working with China, and Hong Kong, according to the tweet from the president earlier today. But there's no question that that uh, closing on phase one of a U.S.-China trade agreement had an impact on all of our markets, not only in the United States, but in many other countries of the world, because it did indicate that maybe we could get on to other issues besides the trade issues that have certainly concerned us. And then, of course, the uh, House this week uh, approved that uh, new NAFTA agreement, as I still like to call it. And uh, the House passed the legislation by a vote of 385 to 41. There were 38 Democrats, two Republicans, and one independent member voting no But the bipartisan vote contrasted sharply with Wednesday night's Democrat-only vote to impeach President Donald Trump. And so we can, I think, expect to see results of that U.S.-China trade agreement. We're already seeing an increase in Chinese imports of U.S. pork. That has made the pork industry happy in this country. Certainly pork producers who have been waiting for it to happen because of the African swine fever epidemic in China that has taken the lives of about half of the hogs in China. And pork is an important ingredient in that country, and they're approaching some 
holidays that pork is the feature of the menu. So let's uh, take a look at where we ended trading in this country. Today, U.S. soybean and corn futures ticked higher as traders adjusted positions ahead of the year-end holiday, and uh, crop prices increased after Washington and Beijing last week struck that phase one deal. So as we look at closing prices today and where we'll start on Monday with the trade, the March wheat contract down two and a half cents today. It will start Monday at five forty two and a quarter a bushel. March corn gained a penny and a half today. It'll start next week at three eighty seven and three quarters. And January soybeans gained three and a quarter cents for the day. It will start the week on Monday at nine dollars twenty eight and a quarter cents. And then turning to the uh, livestock market, November cattle placements out today topped estimates and expectations. That'll put pressure on the cattle market, according to traders, when we resume trading on Monday. The uh, increase in placements, uh, uh, I think, maybe came as somewhat of a surprise. USDA said there were 12 million cattle and calves on feed for the slaughter market as of December 1. That's up 2.5% from a year earlier. So that will be a factor in the trade when we begin on Monday. And uh, closing cattle prices today at the Mercantile Exchange. The December live cattle contract gained 17 cents to close at $122.22. January feeder cattle, though, down 40 cents, and it'll start Monday at $144.27. And the April lean hog contract lost just a nickel today per hundredweight. So that means we'll start Monday at $77.50 a hundredweight. Well, as we approach the holiday season, we look forward to having you join us again a week from now. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson thanking you for joining us on The Markets.